Hi, Sarah here. I'm one of the co-hosts of Female Founders Weekly, and this episode is sponsored by my company, Hostel Pass. Hostel Pass is a digital discount card for the best of European travel, especially the best hostels. I started this company after my own travels, where I was on a really tight budget, which meant I ended up in some pretty horrible accommodation situations. That's why I spent the next six years finding and partnering with the best hostels all across Europe, the kinds of places that travelers and their parents would feel good about. We've now got hundreds of hostels on our platform and we've managed to secure exclusive discounts and bonuses like free welcome drink, late checkout, or free breakfast at every single hostel. We don't just have hostels on Hostel Pass. You can also find discounts on museums, walking tours, river cruises, food tours, e-sims, and so much more. If you're looking to join the thousands of travelers using Hostel Pass to save big on their trip, use code FFW at checkout to take 20% off your first year of membership. Check us out at hostelpass.co. That's H-O-S-T-E-L-P-A-S-S dot C-O. And code FFW for 20% off at checkout. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to another episode of Female Founders Weekly. I'm Sarah, and this is episode 10, which means it's the final episode in season one. To celebrate, we've got a brilliant guest. Her name is Caitlin Mojentail, and she's the founder and CEO of Pulp Pantry. Pulp Pantry works with large juicers to turn organic vegetable scraps into delicious, convenient snacks through their pulp chips. She has been a trailblazer for sustainability. We actually went to the same university, and it's been so brilliant to see her success. She was recently on Shark Tank, and that's what we got her on to talk about today. She also participated in the Target Accelerator program, and you can see her products in a number of stores all across the U.S., I can tell you from firsthand experience that they're delicious, so whenever you see pulp chips in your local store, definitely grab them. So this is actually the second time we've recorded with Caitlin. She was very generous because the first time we had some technical difficulties, and luckily we were able to get her back after she did Shark Tank, and she was able to tell us all the juicy secrets, whether she took the money or not, how she got on, and tips for fundraising and accelerator programs for all of you. So enough from me. I hope you enjoy this episode with Caitlin Mogentail of Pulp Pantry. Caitlin, thank you so much for coming back to do this recording with us. Seeing you on Shark Tank was amazing. You did a great presentation. Your passion came through and you were so great at answering questions as well. So just want to give you a big congratulations because you totally aced that. Well, thank you. That's so sweet <laughs> of you. And definitely was just holding my breath basically, hoping that it was going to be a, a nice day. The sharks were going to be nice and everything in there. So I feel like I got I got really lucky. I feel like they were they were in a good mood the day I recorded, so they made me look good. <laughs> well, we were absolutely cheering you on, me and Sarah were like, Yeah, did you see Kayla was on the show? So big fans, big supporters. So let's like start at the beginning because I know loads of people would just genuinely be interested. How you mm. got on the show? Like first question, do you apply or are you scouted? I so I actually met the casting producer at a, a show called Founder Made. And I think she like goes to Founder Made, at least Founder Made West every year. So there's a hot tip if you're in like consumer packaged goods. I think they had a little booth set up basically where they were like scouting for 
brand and I met her and told her about my what what I was working on with Pulp Pantry. I think at that point I didn't really have like I think this was 2018 or or something or 2019 wow. maybe. And so I didn't really have a product yet. So I just kind of was like there at the show exploring and but I told her about the concept and then she followed up with me after and basically sent the application was like I really think you should apply. Of course for me I was like, well we're not I'm not ready yet, but great to know this person, great to be connected. So kept in touch with her and then when it was last 2021 was really where I felt like okay we've you know we've been selling in retail we have a product that's on the market like we have some really strong sales data we have you know it's more than just a concept that's when I went back to reach out to her and I said like hey what's the I know that you know obviously COVID has changed so much about the casting process but what is what is it looking like this year are you casting for the show again and she was like oh my goodness couldn't be more perfect timing because I think I reached out in January and she was like we're actually casting we just started casting for season 13 so yeah so I kind of like quickly after that just went through the steps of submitting the application and all of the different you know processes that go into actually getting through to working with you know working with producers on a potential a potential filming date so it was it was a long I feel like yeah, it was what like two over two years basically when since when I met her to when I actually applied and, and got through. And I think I always tell founders, because I think there's a lot of founders who, you know, apply and then maybe maybe they hear back from the, the producing team, but they don't, you know, get their shot at it that year. And I, I think oftentimes they'll say, like, apply next year, you know, you should have come back and apply next year. And I feel like it is something that can be a longer process. And sometimes I think the producers know like when when are brands ready versus you know just when you feel like as a brand builder you're you're ready to go on the show and yeah. I think I think it's important to definitely remember that like you know you're not going to always make your first you're not always going to like hit it on your first shot and I definitely talked to a lot of founders that are like pre-revenue or super early stages that want to go on Shark Tank and I my advice is usually just to wait a bit because I think the story can really come through when you build up those sales and you can get the sharks more excited about kind of the traction that you have too. So yeah, I feel like yeah. it's, it can be discouraging maybe, but to like to, you know, apply and, and then get rejected and whatnot. But I really do think that the producers know kind of what they're looking for and it's always worth reapplying and kind of continue to build that relationship with the casting team if it's something that people want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. And good things come to those that wait. And I think you waited a long time <laughs> and you had an incredible experience as well. Once you've done the application process, I'm assuming that they kind of like, you know, they're basically doing their due diligence on you. But once they kind of gave you the go ahead, was there like loads to get ready? Did you have to get stuff in your business ready or just get your presentation and your story refined? Yeah, I think it was a lot of like getting your, I mean, the first part is definitely getting your like pitch and your story down and kind of that that first like two minutes that every entrepreneur has to you know, come into the tank. And and that's like really the full, the only two minutes that you really have where no one's uh, guiding the conversation in a certain direction. So it's like really, that was the important piece was how are you going to present yourself within those first, that first, that first two minutes. And they really workshop that a lot because I think they also want, you know, they want the sharks to be really understanding what the product is and what the brand is. And then they also want, of course, it to be something that grabs the attention of the audience or a potential audience just to be like, excited about that brand and product. So there was a lot of workshopping the story in that two minute pitch and working with the producing teams to get feedback and all that good stuff. But but yeah, I think after that, that point, it was, you know, then kind of thinking about, I mean, really, all the other prep work was 
done on our own. Like we didn't have a ton of, <clears throat> there wasn't a ton of frameworks on what questions are the sharks going to ask and here's like what you should be preparing for. It was really just going back and watching episodes and seeing kind of how the conversations go and preparing a, a guide on on just questions that we felt like were commonly asked that we're going to be, you know, we were going to need the answers to. But I think when you're working on the business day to day, a lot of it is stuff that hopefully is, you know, comes kind of second nature. So like, I definitely wanted to prepare for I, I feel like especially for me, like going in, I knew that, you know, valuation and that that process of negotiation at the end was going to be really important. So how like what are kind of the leeway um, areas that you have for negotiation with each of the sharks? That was an interesting thing to look back on previous episodes and, and kind of like listen to how their their negotiations went, what went wrong when there were really you know bad, bad, I guess, like negotiations that it turned sour, right? Like where a deal was offered, but then someone tried to ask for more and something blew up. For yeah. So, yeah. so it's like, it's always good and fun to be able to negotiate. And, and of course, like you don't want to just take the first offer that comes to the table. But, but I think there's a fine line between, you know, having like having a good, strong argument to negotiate on versus just, I don't know, maybe it's like being arrogant or whatever. There were so many reasons why some of those, those deals fell through. But so that was really an interesting piece. And otherwise, I mean, I think like all the rest of the prep work, some of the set design and whatnot, like definitely, you know, that was all that's all guided by the entrepreneur. So I think um, the producing team can help as much as possible. But I, I really think that a lot of the the rest is just like, what what are you doing on the back end to prepare? Yeah. But what about right. like even just thinking I need my sales data in the past like yeah. three months to look incredible. So I need to like do whatever yeah. I can. And then you've got to go sell all the stuff whilst also preparing to be on Shark Tank. And it's just you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like a lot of work. I definitely think, yeah, like that was like, it was, it was a lot of work. It's like fundraising though, you know, and I think entrepreneurs go out and fundraise mm. like it, it, it is like running two jobs. So yeah, a part of it was a really good pre, like it was a good precursor to the fundraising process, I think, just because like there is so much prep and reflection and, you know, forward looking like thinking that you have to do in in preparing for Shark Tank, but it's the same as like if you were going into a fundraise and really having to have kind of the same, you know, the same like historical and then also future, you know, you're working on the business in the current moment, but then you have to have these kinds of both sides of your thinking as you're pitching to investors as well. Yeah, it's so interesting because I imagine we didn't see a lot of what happened in that room because I've heard stories. There's a show here called Dragon's Den. I've heard interviews with people that go on that where it's like yes. a five or 10 minute episode, but they're there for two hours. Was that the same for you on Shark Tank? Yeah, I think they are basically like five to 10 minutes, like you said. And um, I've heard people are in there from like 30 minutes to an hour, really. But yeah, I think it was somewhere in there. I didn't necessarily keep track of time, but I feel like... Um, <laughs> That is definitely pretty common. It's amazing what the editing teams can do. I'm just like, hats off to them because that is so much content to just like, just pinch into one episode. I feel like it's like Love Island too, you know? It's <laughs> yes. like, just these like live, live TV editors. I'm like, those are the real MVPs of, of, these, <laughs> of these shows. Like, like just to make it like so quick and entertaining and whatnot and I definitely was like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to air because I feel like the episode wasn't that entertaining. Like there wasn't that much, you know, there wasn't any drama or anything. But it is funny how, you know, you get like the clips. Like I remember watching the previews and I was like, oh, my gosh, wh where did they like grab this face I made or whatever? It's <laughs> like, you know, it looks like some me being horrified and or like some the one of those sharks 
looking at me like angrily. And I'm just like, where were they? Like, I don't remember this being, but (laughs) I think we also walk out of that experience and you're kind of, you kind of black out, like you kind of forget like what just happened. And like, I think the adrenaline and everything. And so it was, it was funny because I didn't even know how the edit was going to turn out. And that was definitely a fun adventure as well. So you went in there. I mean, just to refresh your memory, it gave an amazing pitch. You got some tough questions. You probably got more questions than we saw, but you ended up with three offers and you went with um, Mark Cuban and his offer was the best. I thought I'm curious what was going through your mind when you got the other offers and what happened after as well. Yeah, I definitely went in knowing that I really wanted like I mean my two my goals were like I really would love to have Mark Cuban and Emma Green if I could have both of them come in together that would be like the best best case scenario and I think you know on my part I just heard so many good things like talking to entrepreneurs who've been working with Mark and his team like heard that you know they actually have a, a really solid team in place to support their Shark Tank entrepreneurs so they'll like you know they'll actually get kind of their hands dirty in in the business to some extent which is great and I think that's something unique about it. And then I was also hearing that I was just, I mean, he has a lot of food brands in his portfolio. So I felt like there's, you know, probably some, some shared like synergies there. And then Emma Greed, of course, I was just like, she's just amazing. She's just, you know, she's doing her, like she's doing stuff, cool stuff in the brand building and whatnot. So, so yeah, I feel like that made it really easy once that was on the table, just to be like, okay, I know who I want to work with and, and, you know, can just simplify everything from there. But it was it was also, I mean, there's, I feel like it's just interesting because like you definitely, I mean, you have to think about all the different ways that your any investor is going to bring value to the table. And I think a lot of the times at this stage in the business, it's so much more than just the money itself, but it's really about kind of the, maybe it's like the mentorship, but also the, the network that comes with an investor who's, you know, been there, done that in their career and has built a lot of relationships that can really be game changing for 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 growth. So it was just interesting to like think about it from that perspective because I think you know the sharks obviously see so many deals and they have so many deals that they're managing. So it's not always going to be completely possible that they can get like super hands on with with the business. And that's why I really liked that Mark had like a full team to support. I think some of those investments and knowing that that was that was possible. I'm curious about how different that experience was from just pitching in a normal investor meeting was it the questions they asked seemed really similar but I mean it's obviously also tv so what was there a difference yeah I mean I feel like I don't know how they do it it's so hard for them because they don't have data in front of them so it's like a big part of it I feel like is they're you know they're going kind of just based off the conversation they really don't have much background on your brand before you go in the tank at all they don't get I don't think they get anything until you're the day you're filming in there you're in the tank so I feel like with you know they they definitely ask a lot of the the questions that you would get in a regular investor meeting but I think in a in a investment process you know investors are typically like going through you know once you're in later stage conversations it it's going through some of the you know, some of your diligence materials and actually doing a deeper dive on like your financial model and some other aspects of the business that the sharks never really get to look at. So they have a lot more color and uh, a lot more background on kind of like the health of the business. And, you know, they can they can really do a deeper dive in that way. So yeah, there's there are some definitely definitely big differences. But at the same time, 
And I, I mean, I've never been in an investor meeting where I've been like grilled with questions in the same way. You know, it's more <laughs> of a conversation, I would say. And, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of like institutional investors, especially giving you the leeway to kind of share your story how you want. And of course, asking follow up questions from there. But but yeah, Shark Tank was definitely more a little bit more of like a grueling. We're just going to drill you with questions coming at you from all sides and see how you like how you react and respond. So it was more yeah. of a I would say it was more of a like you know, a gotcha, a game of like gotcha than it was a maybe what like a standard investor. Pitch for, <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, Man, that would be an interesting <laughs> experience to be on the phone with, or like jump on with, you know, an investor in the normal process and just be grilled that way. Curious, was success to you getting a deal or was it just purely marketing? Because I know so many people who, you know, they just go on for exposure. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I was in a place where I was kind of playing around with like, I I do, I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to fundraise. I do need to fundraise. And I, but I was like, but you know, before I do that, I knew I wanted to do Shark Tank because I really love the idea that like Shark Tank, and maybe this is just something for me, like as a kid growing up, I watched Shark Tank and I know that, you know, the audience has probably changed pretty drastically from when, when it was in its heyday maybe. But like, you know, I think I really appreciated going, listening to Shark Tank and feeling like there were people who, you know, looked like me that were able to find a way without like a ton of financial backing, find a way to make a business, like make, build a business and build a lifestyle for, or like build a life for themselves. So I felt like it was kind of important to go on without like, you know, there, there are stories now where it's like people go on, they're like, yeah, I've raised like $2 million from VC money and I've blown through all of it. And you're kind of just like, I mean, it just feels so unattainable. I think for most, most entrepreneurs, you know, especially like just given like where we know the like institutional capital goes and it doesn't go to female founders. It doesn't go to, you know, people of color. And I hope that's something that changes. But so I just felt like for me, I was like, I, I would love to go on Shark Tank before we've raised money and before and just like to show kind of what has been possible as a one woman, as a one woman show and and kind of capture <laughs> yeah. that story in the, that early moment. So that's why I ch- I thought the timing was right because I knew that I wanted to fundraise. So I was open definitely to like, if there was a great deal and I was able to work with someone like Mark Cuban, I was like, yes, I would love to do that. But if it wasn't, you know, but if I if that wasn't going to be the outcome, then I wasn't going to be like completely devastated, right? And I was going to just go forward and, and and fundraise kind of the through the normal channels. So yeah, so that's kind of where I was at in, in terms of just like my timing and kind of why I felt like it was it was the right yeah. time to do it. I mean. That's awesome. But re- regardless, you still get incredible exposure. And I know people's website crashes often. Did yeah. you did you have to put anything in place to kind of gear up for that? No, actually, like shop. I'm on Shopify. And it was funny because, you know, we didn't air. They don't tell you until like two weeks before you air. So we filmed in September and we didn't air until May of 2022. So it was like over a full year after we had started the process, which was crazy. So mm-hmm. at that point, it was then I had two weeks basically I kind of knew like I knew I was going to be airing probably end of the season because I had filmed the latest bracket and so you know we were able to I didn't really do much to specifically prepare for that I mean I would have loved if they had given more of a heads up just to be able to like build up inventory and everything because actually what happened was we aired and it just so happened that you know, two weeks before we had aired I had already scheduled a production run for like 
I think it was mid-May, but it ended up that we aired on, we aired the first week of May and I was out of inventory for like two oh, no. of our SKUs, which, and of course everyone orders like, everyone orders a variety pack. That's basically like whatever you direct people towards, they're going to order. And we wanted to direct people towards our variety pack. And so it ended up that like people's orders were delayed over a month because we had our production and then it was like getting the, the everything, you know, going through all the labs, making sure the, the QA analysis was great and then going into our warehouse and then shipping out. So it was actually kind of a disaster. And I feel like every <laughs> time that we've re-aired, it's been something where it's like we were out of stock. And so I think like it definitely I took for granted the fact that like you do really have to be prepared for Shark Tank airing because it is such an influx of, of mm -hmm. demand. And the customer service requests will just like inundate you if you don't, you know, ship automatically. I mean, they'll inundate you regardless. So, so that was a big, it was definitely something that I wish I had more time to prepare for just in terms of inventory. But at the end of the day, like they tell you when they tell you and you can't, I mean, I was following up all the time. Like when, what are we going to do any update on where we're going to air? And, you know, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard of anyone having much more leave, much more lead time to prepare than that so but yeah luckily like shopify i talked to shopify ex an expert about it and he was like oh yeah we can handle any we can handle any volume we, we have websites that are doing like you know crazier volume than you'd be you'll even get from shark tank and they're and they're fine so i was like okay great so shopify so i mean hats off to shopify i guess <laughs> <laughs> nice so you're okay so that's a little bit about the aftermath. So what were, can you talk any more about like specific numbers? I've heard as well that some people take the deal on camera and then don't actually take it off camera. Did you go through with the deal? And like, where is Halt Pantry now? Yeah, we didn't end up going through with the deal. I mean, it was, we probably like finally, I mean, yeah, we aired in May of 2022, but like probably by, I don't know, I want to say it was earlier in the spring was kind of when we knew that we were just like, weren't going to move forward with it. There's a lot of reasons why people don't end up taking the deal. And of course, I think the devil is just like always in the details with some of those those things. But, you know, I, at the time, it was it was something that I think felt like was comfortable just moving forward without it. I would say like, you know, fundraising climate definitely changed because I think I, I went ended up going out in 2022 to fundraise. And so kind of starting in the fall of 2022. And then just closed some investment with a VC investor out here in LA, as well as angels and angel groups in uh, the spring. <laughs> Thanks. But I will say it was a very, very challenging time to fundraise. And so it is kind of funny because I feel like I, when I look back, I'm like, man, I, w I wish I, I maybe, maybe it would have been like, you know, I would have had a cushion to weather the storm of 2022 and kind of fundraising in that time. And it was super stressful, but at the end of the day, it all worked out, and I'm I'm super happy with the like the outcome of of our kind of fundraising trials and tribulations. But yeah, it fundraising is so stressful. So I definitely feel like actually Shark Tank is an easier way to fundraise maybe <laughs> than yeah, kind of like going the normal the normal route. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm like it's very structured. You know, you do your deal. And a lot of them do fall through and a lot of them are, fall through. A lot of them fall through because of the entrepreneurs. But then, you know, there's definitely cases where I think there are like there are definitely cases where something changes with the deal. And then, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I think I think it's it's nice to have a structure around it. And I feel like even going the angel group route for me was really helpful before jumping into pitching VCs, because a lot of the angel groups also have a very structured process where they're, you know, you're like applying online to get 
qualification to pitch to their group. And then you might do some diligence calls and everything is very much like follows a set set in stone process. Whereas I felt like pitching institutional investors, it felt like there was a whole like language and process that you had to learn. So like talking to other founders and kind of understanding like how they manage their process and their intros and all of that, I think that is a much more like you have to be so much more self-organized and and really manage your time well to be able to kind of continue to build the momentum in a fundraise, but also, you know, be able to kind of continue to push conversations down the road. And so I'm I'm happy that I had kind of the precursor of training of like Shark Tank and then angel pitches to be able to to be able to help with understanding a little bit more about just how to pitch the the VC community. And so where are you at now? How are sales? How's the business? Everything has been crazy. We've been this year was like definitely it was a lot of just again, it's like the growing pains. I think especially while fundraising, I had a real need for capital just because I was like, we're constantly out of stock. So it was a lot of like exploring what are alternative finance, you know, solutions like we did. We first had a line of credit, then we started working with an inventory financing partner. And so those were things that I was like, oh, man, I wish I had gotten these in place sooner so that during the raise, it would have been less stressful about also managing kind of our inventory and our out of stocks and everything. So we've had the beginning, the first half of the year was super challenging, just balancing both of those things as also a solo founder. And and now it's been amazing because now that we have the capital to actually do this, it's been getting more more support really, both with like operations and then also our team on the ground. We have a ton of people doing a ton of brand ambassadors doing demos and and kind of in-store sales, as well as filling out more of our our sales team has just been like that's been the essential piece that's really been missing. So it's been going great. And we have finally, you know, we've finally feel like we're at this kind of place where we're tackling the out of stocks and being able to kind of maintain more inventory, which is the biggest challenge in CPG. I feel like for growing brands, it's just so hard to manage the growth with and kind of be able to scale at the speed that you want to. Sometimes like you just, you know, you obviously need the the capital and the support to do that. So that was a big challenge, but something that we're looking forward to. And then we're working on a lot of like new packaging design and, and whatnot. So hopefully by the end of this year, you'll be able to see some some of the new direction that we want to take the brand. And I think it's been really nice to take all the learnings of the past three years and say, you know, we can kind of use this as a as now a jumping off point to kind of build what the next chapter of of Pulp Pantry looks like. So that's been a really fun journey too. So when you were doing your fundraising outside of Shark Tank, because you mentioned when you were looking at the sharks that you'd love to work with, it was very much around the support and what they could like help bring mm just you know outside of capital is that the same with your other fundraising was that something you were really specifically looking for like I for example have problems with my supply chain or my 3PL or whatever and I need someone who can really plug that gap for me I feel like I definitely look for that in advisors I think with investors it's you know they're not going to be as much like day-to-day involved in in the business. So it was, it was interesting because I, I do feel like the investors can really bring like connections, especially hiring. And actually I ended up with, so we have some amazing angels who are founders themselves in the food and beverage space, like have a ton of resources. Like one of my investors, I just had a great call with him last or this earlier this week where well, I guess it was Monday, right? Oh my gosh, like what day is it? But <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what? Uh, but 
you know, he he was one of the early team members at Kind Snacks. So like there's just so many resources to tap into there and like gut checking growth assumptions and how we're kind of moving the process along, as well as I, you know, I ended up landing with a VC investor that has like a venture studio model. So with that comes and I think a lot of founders, like especially founders, I mean, I personally was looking definitely, you know, as a solo founder, I was like, I want to have more support and resources and and people mm-hmm. behind um, what I'm building. So it, the model worked really well for me because, you know, we have weekly calls with this investor. Like they're, they have, a, they have full-time team members that do get hands-on with growth marketing and, and we'll do some of the execution work as well. So that's been, and then, you know, there's other portfolio companies also that like offer consumer tech solutions. So being able to kind of leverage some of those consumer tech solutions. So I think that's been super helpful. And I, you know, there are definitely models where, like you can find tons of institutional investors and institutional capital that are actual operators who've been there, done that, building mm-hmm. a business. And and I think those can be kind of the resources that that really support entrepreneurs. But some entrepreneurs don't look for that, right? And investors, like they're like, I just want yeah. money. I think I know how to I'm I know how I'm gonna execute and you know, that's it. I don't want I don't want investors meddling. So I think there's a lot of different models and definitely had a lot of conversations with prospective investors just like talking about like how do you get involved with your portfolio brands and heard a lot of different ranges of kind of how investors look to get either hands on and support their their brands or, you know, they say like, hey, I'm here when you need me, but like otherwise I'm not going to bother you. So it's it, there's definitely a lot of different approaches. Yeah. And I think all of us might agree that just figuring out what you want prior is always yeah. a good idea rather than trying to do it during the process as well. Because like you said, you're learning jargon and terminology yes. and yes. <laughs> you're just doing a lot. Um, awesome. Well, it was incredible to hear about your Shark Tank experience, where you are now and your current fundraising. We are going to end with our quick fire questions. Um, this is just a little snippet into you and your entrepreneurial life. Super short. It can be one word, one sentence answers. But the first one is what's your morning routine? You know, I used to do just right in the morning, do my morning pages, which I love if you've ever read The Artist's Way. The morning pages is like a it, I shout out to that. That's great. And so with some coffee. There you go. The morning pages with some coffee. Okay. How would you rate your work life balance out of 10? Oh man, it's a flux. Right now it's been like a four, but I've been working up to probably a like a six. You know, I've been working up there. <laughs> Between a four and a six. You've had a lot going on. Okay. <laughs> work is fun though, too. So I'm like, I'm <laughs> We're doing events on the weekends. We just did a clothing swap with a bunch of girls that I met like at Tech Week for in the fashion industry. And I was like, let's do like, you know, clothes, the fashion, like upcycling plus food. I think it makes sense. So it's like, it's fun things like that. Oh, I love that. Yeah, some of it's so fun and you're like, I can't believe this is my job. And then some parts are awful. Yes. (laughs) What would you say is one myth about being a founder? Like that you have to be miserable, maybe. I I feel like there's a lot of (laughs) people that talk about it just like, I mean, yeah. It's people are so I I have so many founder friends that are so hard on themselves, too. I think that we really need to reframe kind of the the mental health issues that we have in the community. So, yeah, I think I think that there's a way to 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 bring more joy into entrepreneurship. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So that's interesting because these next questions are kind of related to that. So what time do you start and what time do you end your day? I don't, I really try not to start work until like 9am. So I like to have like a full at least hour to just like do my morning pages, coffee, breakfast, like 
you know, have a good morning walk. Even like if I if I wake up early enough, I'll, you know, we'll walk, we'll walk. But <laughs> I, I like to stay up late, too. So that's a problem. And then and ending the day, usually. Yeah, I mean, usually like I will stop working around eight, maybe, but sometimes kind of having a break and then, you know, jumping back into little things here or there. But I, yeah. I actually try to stop working around 8 p.m. Yeah. I like a little break and come back to it. I've always yeah. been like that. I was like that when I studied. Um, okay. Biggest procrastination vice. Man, just like cooking, just making any sort of like weird things in the kitchen, you know, like a drink. I'll just like always be getting up to be like, I'm going to make a tea. I'm going to make a coffee, <laughs> do whatever. And like, here's a little snack, you know, I mean, I love that. Maybe yes. I feel like you can okay. write that off. Your creativity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Research, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love it. Okay. How do you mitigate stress? I would say definitely just like being outdoors and being active. That's the biggest thing for yeah. me is every set. Every weekend, I have to have a lot of outdoors time. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of like, e- even for me working out during the week, my preferred thing would be like going on a run outside or like going on a, on a big walk. Like, I don't, I don't do any like workout classes or anything like that because I think for me, it's just like having time to let my mind wander and be, be a little bit and just be outside in, in, in nature too is obviously really important. So that's, that's what that looks like for me. Well, you're in a beautiful part of the world to do that. Okay. So we'd like to end with a positive question. What is your favorite part about running Pop Pantry? I think right now it's the team building and Really, I love managing like our brand ambassadors, the people on the ground selling in stores, like training, recruiting, and then seeing them do amazing work on their own, like self-managed because a lot of them are college students. So it's been really fun for me to give them a new skill set and maybe sometimes give them their first paid job also. So that's been that's been honestly one of my one of my favorite favorite parts. Awesome. Caitlin, thank you so much for opening up, for sharing your experience with us. Uh, and telling us the highs and lows of getting on Shark Tank. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and good to see you both again. You too. Thanks, Caitlin. Can't wait to see where you end up. I'm so proud of you. So congrats on everything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Nice of you guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Female Founders Weekly. Female Founders Weekly was created by myself, Sarah Weingust, the founder of Hostel Pass, and Alex Plothero, founder of Freedom Underwear. You can find us on Instagram at Female Founders Weekly. And with any questions, you can email us at femalefoundersweekly at gmail.com. Thanks for joining. Bye.